When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. We will get to our story in a moment, but first, Paula and I would like to thank all of you for your continued support. If you are new to our podcast, the best ways to support us is to tell a family member or a friend. Leave a five-star review, and also consider becoming a Patreon member by going to patreon.com slash ohiomysteries. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Ohio Mysteries. Now, let's throw another log on the fire, campers. Let's dig up a new Ohio mystery. I'm your co-host, Stevie Utter, and with us as always is our storyteller and award-winning journalist who spent 30-plus years at the Akron Beacon Journal writing stories just like this, Paula Schleiss. Hi, everybody. Steve and I hope you all had a fantastic Fourth of July holiday weekend. Some family gatherings, a barbecue, maybe some fireworks to top it all off. But in 1969, Independence Day ended not in celebratory fireworks, but in death and devastation. A freak storm hit northern Ohio, a type never seen before here. Apocalyptic in its intensity, winds and flash floods swept away entire families, boaters and motorists, even first responders. In the end, 41 people died, many of them in Wayne County, which was hardest hit by a natural disaster that wasn't even on the radar a couple of hours earlier. All people really expected that Friday were some early scattered showers, a 40% chance of rain, the forecast said. The rain came and went, and not entirely unwelcome since the week had been oppressively hot and humid. By 5 p.m., the front that had brought the rain had moved through, clearing the way for the evening's activities. That night, thousands of revelers gathered in Cleveland at Edgewater Park to watch the annual fireworks show. In addition to the families on the shore, there were hundreds of boats on Lake Erie, anchored just offshore and waiting for the pyrotechnics to begin in this grand patriotic tradition. 
Now, the first people to know that things in the atmosphere were not quite as settled as it seemed were, not surprisingly, the folks at the U.S. Weather Service. A series of storms had developed over southeast Michigan, producing large hail and several small tornadoes. By 7 p.m., radar indicated the system had grown into a nearly solid east-west line of thunderstorms over Lake Erie. Meteorologist Bob Alto later told a reporter the storm developed way faster than anyone could have expected. Warnings did go out to radio and television stations. Be on the alert. But the word never got out. The Weather Service informed the emergency broadcast system of a tornado warning, but the warning was never issued. The folks gathering for the fireworks at Edgewater Park had no idea what was coming. Cleveland radio stations eventually found the warning and started broadcasting it, but even then it still wasn't relayed over marine channels. At the Edgewater Yacht Club, around 20,000 people had assembled for the show. While police at the park had received the weather alert, it was not broadcast over the PA because they didn't want the audience to panic. At 8 p.m., the storm's presence was obvious to all. Those gathered on the shore and in their boats could see the roiling clouds on the lake's horizon, illuminated by cracks of lightning and that deep thunder. Suddenly, the wind picked up and the storm barreled toward the shore. It tossed the boats, capsizing 200 of them. Cleveland resident Robert Coatman, in his own 16-foot boat off Edgewater Park, described those first moments. You saw it sweeping across the lake from the west, a real bad storm, he said. We headed for shore fast and ran right through the barrier the city had just put up to protect swimmers. Twenty boats must have hit it at the same time. As soon as the wind passed, the Coast Guard was out in force, plucking a hundred people from the water. Four didn't make it and were drowned. There's a special name for this kind of mutant storm. It's called a derecho, widespread, fast-moving, destructive, in this case with wind gusts that topped 100 miles per hour. This particular storm, meteorologists have called the Ohio Fireworks Derecho. As the storm moved southeast onto the land, people were literally fleeing for their lives. Trees were pulled from the ground, power lines ripped from their poles, rivers, creeks, and streams swelled, washing out bridges and railroad tracks. The wind part of the storm moved quickly down to Akron and then on to Pittsburgh. But the other aspect of the storm, the torrential rain, wasn't going anywhere. It was just beginning. The storm's westernmost point was Toledo, where the winds had felled 5,000 trees in that city alone, 250 of them landing squarely on homes 
and taking down power lines. 17-year-old Thomas Kraft stepped on one and was electrocuted. In Sandusky, the south half of the city was turned into a lake. In Huron, several hundred families had to evacuate their neighborhoods. At Cedar Point Amusement Park, 20-year-old Ernest Pachikowski was enjoying the last hour in the amusement park when a tree limb struck him dead. Not far away, in Milan, 80-year-old Catherine Dunlevy was killed by the lightning that hit her home. 19-year-old Scott Gillian of Port Clinton and 50-year-old Robert Ott of Oregon, Ohio, were killed by stepping on downed power lines. In the city of Bellevue, parts of the city were submerged beneath eight feet of water, even though Bellevue had no rivers or creeks of significance. The storm had forced underground streams to rise up through the city sewage system. It would take days to drain the unnatural watering holes. At the storm's eastern end, more of the same. In Cleveland, 44-year-old Samuel Butler and 50-year-old Elmer Walkhouse were electrocuted by power lines. Falling trees ended the lives of 18-year-old Deborah Bianchi, 21-year-old Kenneth Rogers, and 23-year-old Joanne Geneva, as well as 14-year-old Dagmar Dolis in the suburb of Lakewood. The storm left the shoreline communities and marched south. By 1 a.m., it had reached Ashland, Wayne, and Stark counties, a good 60 miles south of Cleveland. It arrived in peak fury and then stalled for the next eight hours. Wayne County got the worst of it. The storm system dumped 18 inches of rain, turning Kilbuck Creek, Apple Creek, and Little Apple Creek into raging rapids. The flash floods collected everything in its wake, debris, trees, vehicles, trailers, a traveling force that wrecked everything in its path, roads, buildings, bridges. Some residents had gone to bed that night oblivious to what was coming, then woke in the middle of the night to the sound of water charging into their homes, sending them scurrying to higher floors and even onto their roofs to wait for a rescue. Some had no roof to run to. In Worcester, four members of a family drowned in their trailer home near Bower Road. Gone in a heartbeat were Lavina Taylor, her daughter Doris Worth, and her grandchildren, four-year-old Sharon and six-week-old Anthony. In the early morning darkness, Mabel Franz, a 53-year-old employee at the Apple Creek State Institute, tried to drive to work for her shift, but her car hit Kidron Creek as it poured over County Road 80. She was swept away. When rescuers found her body later, she was clutching her car keys. In the midst of the chaos, Worcester Mayor Paul Tilford wired Ohio Governor James Rhodes, We have a real emergency here. Pray for us. 
The storm was not kind to people who were trying to help. In the village of Burbank, the water of Kilbuck Creek took down 16-year-old Robert Dickens Jr. as he attempted to rescue two children. Then the water took 48-year-old Robert Dickens Sr. as he tried to rescue his son. The two children they had tried to help survived. In the pre-dawn hours, Worcester Patrolman Robert Goodrich, 56, and Paul Nisley, 30, tried to evacuate families on Bower Road. Their boat capsized in 12 feet of water on Apple Creek. The current was so strong that it ripped away their life jackets. It would take two days to find their bodies downstream. Two days later, in Toledo, a 37-year-old Edison lineman, Carl Felser, would become yet another victim of the storm, electrocuted while repairing a power line. Adjacent to Wayne County, Stark County lost a pair of brothers. In Perry Township, 20-year-old Lyle Ward Jr. and 17-year-old Mervyn Ward got caught in a whirlpool from a culvert at Perry Drive and Southway Street. Their bodies were discovered later in eight feet of water, about 350 yards from where they disappeared. In Stark County's North Lawrence, 10-year-old Kathy Schonauer was swept off a water-covered footbridge and drowned. Ashland County was also caught in the night from hell. At 3.30 a.m. in rural Ashland, a family attempting to get out of the storm's path stalled in high water on Ohio 58. James Morris was able to get his four children to safety, but his wife, 31-year-old Shirley Morris, and their nine-year-old niece, Kimberly Owens, were swept away by floodwaters and drowned. Their bodies were found about 12 hours later, a mile away. At 8.30 a.m., residents in the Ashland County hamlet of Roseburg called the Ohio State Highway Patrol. A man, trapped in his milk truck, was shouting for help. It took rescuers three hours to be able to reach the truck in a boat. But the driver, 57-year-old Homer Hostetler of Dalton, was gone. Three days later, his body was found in the Mohican River, a mile south of U.S. 250. The storm was so powerful, it derailed a train on the Erie Lackawanna tracks west of the Cottage Street crossing in Ashland. It also took out the dam at the Ashland Reservoir, inundating the city with 110 million gallons of water and rendering a third of the city's raw water supply undrinkable. On Saturday morning, the Coast Guard and the Ohio National Guard joined the effort to begin sifting through mud-soaked homes that were left behind by the receding waters, searching for victims. Emergency crews worked around the clock to dig a 165-foot well for Worcester Hospital so that the 120-bed facility wouldn't be without water. 
Authorities estimated that 21,000 homes and businesses had been damaged or destroyed. In the Holmes County village of Kilbuck, 95% of the homes rested in four feet deep water. The farm community was also affected. Northern Ohio is a heavily agricultural region. Millions of dollars worth of crops were lost. A day after the storm, news reports described several northern Ohio communities as paralyzed. One Worcester mother, Eva Goldstein, told a reporter, What can you say? You worked 20 years for something, and it's all gone in a few hours. Many businesses and industries didn't even bother to open for the next day or two. Governor Rhodes toured the devastation and called the storm the largest catastrophe in Ohio history. It took more than a week to get power, fresh water, and sewer service to many areas. But kindness was also in abundance, with donations of food, water, clothing, and labor to help get communities back to life or some semblance of normal. Girl Scout and Boy Scout troops volunteered for cleanup efforts. Amateur radio operators helped with communications and rescue efforts. The Red Cross, of course, set up relief centers everywhere. Of the 41 killed, 25 were drowned, 8 were killed by falling trees, 6 were electrocuted by fallen wires, 1 was killed by lightning, and 1 died from a storm-related injury. By some estimates, almost 600 more people were injured. Other victims that we haven't named yet included 18-year-old Karen Miller of Poland Springs, John Baumgartner, 34, of Shreve, 20-year-old Don Dyer of Rootstown, from Kilbuck, Earl Elliott, 62, Ada Elliott, 58, John McMillan, 86, and Ginger Hinkle, six years old, from Millersburg. Also, Karen Maciel, 18, of Ravenna, Richard Powell, 31, of Alliance, and from Worcester, John Mann, Basil Bright, Patty Lovett, and Roger Hentorn, all drowned in an overturned boat. A year after the storm, a report by the U.S. Department of the Interior concluded that the storm was an unprecedented event. History had never before recorded such an intense and widespread summer storm in Ohio. Consider this. In the area affected by the storm, there were 25 sites where the U.S. government monitored flood discharges for decades. At 20 of those 25 sites, the storm broke their all-time records. That's it for tonight, listeners. For photos, news clippings, and more on this and every episode, hop on over to ohiomysteries.com. Also, for more shows like ours, head on over to KillerPodcasts.com. We are a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.
You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight, cisgender white men, and the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy and I'm Beth, and together we host Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.